Welcome to Unboxing E-Commerce. I'm James Marks, a serial entrepreneur who built an e-commerce fulfillment service called Whiplash. I've been investigating business mysteries since I launched my first business when I was 17. I'm Jennifer Yates, a business operations leader, creator, and connector. We use our combined expertise and curiosity to understand the process behind the package. Each episode, we order from your favorite brands and reverse engineer their operations stack. We learn what tools they're using and why, so you can run your business like the pros. We start exactly where you would start, shopping. After our packages arrive, we'll rate the unboxing, review their packing materials, and their shipping methods. Then, we get into the relationship between the shopping cart, branding, warehouse location, delivery speed, and the other multitude of factors that drive customer experience and your bottom line. Jennifer, are you ready to unbox e-commerce? I'm ready. Let's get to that box. Hey, James. How are you? <laughs> hey, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I'm good, too. What have you been up to? Oh, this week... <clears throat> I've been a little obsessed with AI, and it feels like everything is changing so fast. So fast. And I just read something about, uh, you know, version chat, GPT, GBT. I'm never going to get it right. <laughs> I, a, a bunch of initials. Yeah. <laughs> that it's not really ready, but people are kind of running with it. I mean, none of it. I mean, what is ready? Right. It's like, a, it's a big emergent system that we don't, it, it's, I mean, it's just text completion and code completion and somebody's going to start running that code and write a script to run it before anybody human has seen it. And like, I don't think we're to the dangerous place yet, but it is changing so fast. Today we are going to order from Patagonia. Mm. That was your choice. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I actually had to not wear my Patagonia sweatshirt for this call because I felt like that was just like a little bit too much. Okay. So you're not wearing your Patagonia sweatshirt. (laughs) Maybe you can order one. (laughs) Maybe I can order one. This was your choice. And like many of our unboxing episodes will be because you're really good at this. So what was your rationale? Like, why did you choose Patagonia? Well, I mean, first off, it's just strong name recognition, right? Trying to hitch my trailer to theirs a little bit, (laughs) where it's like, you've never heard of us, but maybe you've heard of Patagonia. Good chance. (laughs) Um, So some of it's just straight up that. Um, I actually don't know how their operations uh, work at all. And so I'll be learning a lot as we go through it. I thought that was fun. Um, They're really big. And so they're a little bit bigger than than my normal customers are. so it's, it's, again, it's educational from that. And we think, I mean, you did the research, you tell me, but I, I think it's a company that cares, right? They, they tend to do things that are sort of best in class. So yeah. let's, let's see what that means. Yeah. So speaking of big, they employ over 10,000 people. Holy globally. Yeah. So it is big. You're right there. And um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how Pat- Please, please do. <laughs> about how they got started. It was founded in 1957 by Yvonne Chouinard. Wait, 1957? Yeah. Well, unofficial, like pre-Patagonia. But still, I would have said 75, I would have believed it. Oh, you're close. In the official Patagonia start date, that was 73. So okay. good, good guess. Okay, okay. Patagonia was founded in 1957 by Yvonne Chouinard, an avid rock climber. And at that time, most of the people who were doing activities outside they were building their own gear. And so what happened was he was building his own equipment and gear because he couldn't find what he needed anywhere else. Classic entrepreneur journey. Yeah. And then, of course, friends are like, ooh, what is that? Where'd you get it? Can I buy it? And so he began selling that through his his gear, through his company, Chouinard Equipment. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that predates the official Patagonia. Yeah. Right. Right. Then in 1965, his friend and eventual business partner, Tom Frost, also a fellow rock climber, comes along. Tom Frost is a photographer, a rock climber, 
and already producing rock climbing equipment. And together, you know, when they were just hanging out and buddies, they invented a piece of climbing equipment called a I'm not gonna I'm <laughs> a tiny python. I don't know what the I looked it Piton. up. Uh-huh. Piton? I don't know. P- I yeah. yeah. Whatever. P I T O N. Maybe <laughs> the rock the, climbers. The rock climbers listening are crawling out of their skin yeah. right now. <laughs> Correct me, Wait, please. We're sorry. It's this little metal thing that you hammer in to the rocks and help yourself climb up. Um, so they invented that and they also together started marketing adjustable crampons because those weren't available at the time. Okay. And then it was a mutual, you know, benefit for them to join forces because Tom Frost was already selling, making equipment and Yvonne Chouinard needed help with supply and demand. So they joined forces Hmm. and then... Just as you said, Patagonia was officially founded in 1973, and it was an apparel brand, and the way this came about is so cool. So Yvonne Chouinard goes rock climbing in Europe and grabs a rugby shirt to climb in, Mm -hmm, which was, mm -hmm. you know, no one was using it at the time, but that kind of thick collar in the mm-hmm. rugby shirt, protected his neck from being like cut, not cut into, but like the abrasion of uh-huh. the rock climbing materials. Oh, and right. So, the gear. It's a protective, like to have this heavy collar was an advantage. Yeah, exactly. So he started buying a bunch of rugby shirts and mm-hmm. all of his rock climbing friends were buying that from him. And so that's how they became an apparel company. And over the last 50 years, we, you know, we all are aware of Patagonia. They kept growing um, at a steady pace. And their company philosophy, despite that growth, and their company mission was always centered around the environment and their people and the people. Mm-hmm. So good place to work, Earth. The company got a lot of press. You know, you probably remember this in the fall of 2022 when Chinard transferred ownership of the company to something called the Patagonia Purpose Trust. Okay. And that's overseen by the Chenard family and advisors. Mm-hmm. And in that arrangement, the trust donates any excess profits via a dividend to Holdfast Collective. Mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit whose mission is environmental protection, especially in biodiversity, climate, and nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not something, I remember when that was big news because like, he basically gave the company away. The right? family basically sold their shares in the company to this trust. That actually reminds me, we had another business mystery that we were going to, <gasps> to talk about. It was an LA Times article that my wife and, and your old uh, good friend Ruth, yeah, uh, Ruth had sent me. So okay, so Ruth okay. printed this out for you. Uh, okay, so the headline <laughs> is a tasty LA mystery: unwanted Uber Eats food deliveries vex Highland Park neighborhood. You sent me this article beforehand. I'll let you tell you know the story about it, but I have. A question that okay. I would love for you to answer. I'll try. I'll try. Okay. Okay. So the the concept is there's a neighborhood in Highland Park, which is kind of a hipster neighborhood uh, in LA, and uh, it's I think Highland Park is sort of a classic gentrification story. Maybe that plays a role here. We don't really know, um, but they keep getting Uber Eats delivered, usually McDonald's and Starbucks, and it's oh. happening. Like happening enough that it's like a problem. It's like a nuisance. And like the the Uber Eats drivers, they have to deliver it, right? Like they're being recorded and me- measured on these things. And so even if you knock on the door, they say, "Oh no, I didn't order that." They they have to deliver it, or they get they get dinged. Mm-hmm. And so it keeps happening to the point where they like set up a you know a special stall at the end of the street to put all the McDonald's and Starbucks that's given. And it's like free McDonald's 
in this. So anyway, the question is like, why is this happening and what is going on? Why is it happening if a food or drink delivery ends up on your doorstep? What do you, James, do with it? Do, do you, you consume mystery yeah. food? Do I you might, eat no. it, drink it, or no. I don't no. want the mystery food. I don't either. And why do you not want it? Uh, I think there's like a little bit of, so I get, there's a couple of things. One is like a personal safety thing. Like it's of unknown origin. So, so I, I, have I, they I, solved it I, or is I, it unsolved? Or I wonder, Uber? I, I don't know. I, I can't read the news. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to wait. Ruth hasn't told us. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wait for somebody to give me an update. Um, but I did have some theories as to what it might, might be going on, uh, and then other people in the in the article were saying, "Oh, it's probably like this like nuisance to like aggravate these gentrifiers and create a nuisance for them." Oh, which I also don't really. Put I don't stock think in people that. would pay to do that. But I, I don't really think malice is at the bottom of the, most of the things that we see, and partially that's just because of my experience running operations. And you're like, once you dig all the way down into a problem, you're like, this was there was no malice; it was just dumb, right? And and you're right. Usually, it is the simple, the simplest answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what there's a quote like, "Never attribute to malice what can be explained by stupidity." <laughs> I and love it. That has actually been the driving force in my life, and I don't mean to criticize anyone else. I consider myself part of the stupid, and it is just the way things are. Um, people make mistakes. And that's totally that's just what it is. Um, mm-hmm. my, my theory on this, and I I, uh, I I brought to mind like a testing framework. Like we have like browser automation when when you're developing software, and somebody you know wrote a script that goes to the site, and you need to say like, okay, can you place an order? You know, we made all these changes. Can you still place an order? Does the driver get notified and all these things? And usually you would do that in like a staging or like you know specifically like quality assurance environment. Somebody accidentally put that against the production environment and used a corporate card. And so all these McDonald's charges are going to some corporate vacuum getting write-offs. We'll have to see if it stands out. And they were, they were saying it's unsolvable. And I'm like, well, no, it's he hasn't gotten the attention of the people who can solve it. Like, this is certainly solvable if you put the right, you know, Uber Eats engineers on the job. It is, it's like a low priority. Yeah, it that makes sense that they would be testing something and it was released to production. Yeah. And it's just an mm-hmm. accident. Like those things, an there's accident. so many, there's so many ways to configure those things. Um, and they just accidentally pointed it at prod instead of, <laughs> instead of QA. <laughs> it's like nobody knows it's running until you see the article in the LA times. I have a theory that somebody saw that article in the LA times and felt those hairs in the back of their neck go up and they're like, <laughs> I know exactly why that's happening. <laughs> uh, Anyway, today's problem. So we haven't we've talked about everything, but Pat, Pat, but Patagonia. Should we should we go shopping? Oh man, let's get in there. <laughs> okay, I'm so ready to go shopping. So the the premise, if I understand it correctly, is we're both going to order something separately from Patagonia. You are in Michigan. I'm in Michigan, outside of Detroit. Okay, I am in. Um, the Bay Area outside of San Francisco. So what I love about that is that we've got um, multiple destination secret shopping. So I've got all sorts of questions like, do we get the same shipping options at checkout? Do we, how long do they take each of us? Do we get the same shipping methods? Anyway, oh, let's, let's, let's go I'm shopping. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I know what I want to buy. I You did a pre-shop? I did. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I did a recon. Okay. So... Okay. Yeah, I know, kind I, of. I haven't done any recon at all. I'm going to go to patagonia.com. You know what? I The first thing I noticed about this is it did not do the pop-up where it says, do you want 10% off on your first order? I am so glad that that is starting to go away. Is it starting to go away or is it just that Patagonia's hip to I, how I, annoying it is. I think that it is annoying and I think that it was novel and so everybody was, so it was working and so everybody added it and now the novelty is worn off and it's like like a, a spammy. And so I, I, I think that we are in the beginning of a trend where that's going away simply because it stopped working because everybody is doing it. So are you landing on anything you want to buy? It detected my location. That's, oh, it did? Yeah. I don't think it asked for my permission to do that either, which I wouldn't I have allowed know. it. So that's kind of weird. Where did it detect your location? Mine isn't uh, detected. 
Up in Although, the top right, uh, it says Patagonia, San Francisco, California. Oh, no. Mine says find a store. I bet I have location turned off. So I use the private window a lot when I'm debugging stuff and you want to like see it without any stored cookies. I, might, I don't want to necessarily delete the, the cookies in case it does remember something helpful. No, even my private session still says Patagonia, San Francisco, California, and it is not asking for my permission. It's probably doing it from like a... Could it be your browser? You have that turned on? No. And I would say it's my IP address, but honestly, the way my IP is usually uh, gets auto-detected to Indiana. So mine just says find a store Yeah. up in the top right. Yeah. And uh, I've put something in my cart. <laughs> what do you do you do you mind sharing? What are you what are you gonna get? I am going to get, I will give you the official Patagonian name of this. It's W's Capaline Cool Daily Hoodie. And it is on sale right now. And I think it's on sale because of the color I want. Okay. I want jellyfish yellow. Jellyfish. That's a bold hoodie. Yeah. But, you, but you're a bold dresser. Actually, not I think I about this. This, uh, this fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. I And now, I don't know if the picture is capturing the color correctly. Uh-huh. But to my eyes, it looks like a pale lime green. And I okay. am looking for a lime okay. green. So, I yeah, I honed in on that. They had... They had my size available. Oh, which... I, got, I got the 10% off spam. Oh, you did? I did. But it happened when I clicked into the product page. So they moved it a little bit later into the experience to kind of like maybe um, to reduce bounce. Uh, yeah. And because they, they probably know like, okay, here is a user that actually is shopping. Yeah. I've showed a little bit of intent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's still annoying, but it is less annoying than it was. So are you? So I'm looking at the Capoline Cool Daily Graphic hoodie. That's not the one that you... No, it's just the Cool Daily hoodie. It's a lightweight it's technical cool top Okay. for the trail or on the water. It's quick drying, stretch okay. and comfort with high Q, pure odor control. Look at that sales price differential. Normally fifty nine today twenty eight ninety nine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm pumped about that. So that'll be interesting. There is something else that I'm noticing, and I don't, I don't know if we want to get into it at all. But I'm on the main Patagonia site to mm-hmm. shop, but mm-hmm. it looks like they also have like, you know, already pre warned. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, a space there. I've been seeing that. Where where did you get to that? I have it on the top bar across the t- I don't Oh, Warren Ware. Warren Ware. Ware. I had a question about this. I think there's a company that is creating these sort of used but still attached to the brand marketplaces. Isn't that isn't Oh that yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. I have a friend um who works at one of them, um Trove? Is it Trove? Trove? Yeah, I think that's it. So there's Trove Powering the resale ecosystem for brands. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're doing like Eileen Fisher and REI and Lululemon. I love this because it's it's getting the value that's attached to the brand, but also it's like people love a discount, the kind of way to get that validation, like formalize and say, yes, we approve of this used purchase. Exactly. It's kind of, it's almost like the certified yeah. used car, you know, like it's it's been inspected, it's categorized like... Yeah. How close to new or how far away from new it is. Yeah. And then it's it is. It's more official. Yeah. You know. Can I do a can I do a plug since we're talking about returns? Oh yeah. Go so ahead. Today a company that I advise uh called Two Boxes announced that they had raised four point five million for their returns processing platform. You're kidding. So That's we don't know. Yeah, it's 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 super exciting. It's super exciting. It's one of those teams where I'm just flattered to be involved. Where it's like people from Shopify and Amazon and like Disney and just like I think I might be the least famous person in the room, and it's just 
fun to work with those folks. And the team is razor sharp and they are trying to get the maximum value out of returned goods. There's like all these returned goods and the better we can grade them and get them prepped back for retail, less of it goes into the landfill. So smart. And yeah. I love the name, Two Boxes. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. 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 It's clean. It's clean. It I, is clean. I expect good things from them. They're um, they're pretty exciting. They're they're working directly for brands and three PLs. Um, three PLs. We haven't used that acronym yet. Um, third party logistics. Um, yeah. You know, warehouse for hire. Yeah, I love it. Um, well, congratulations yeah. to yeah. you and them. Yeah, I'm. That's I'm. A- I'm just in the wings just trying to i say good job occasionally that's part of my role as an advisor yeah. so but for that for our conversation though we're not doing the warnware we're just doing a straight e-com purchase straight you're gonna e-com. Get the, i'm gonna look under the hood i have the developer tools on um, so whenever i browse i just open the source code um just to i like to see what is going on and so one of the one of the tells you can just look to see um all the different widgets that people have installed. So you can, they just like leak their identity. So what do you, what else do you see here? Uh, what else do I can see? I can see they're using Salesforce, uh, oh. Salesforce live agent uh, as part of maybe a chat experience. Yeah, we got a chat widget down here. Okay. I'm guessing that's what's driving that. So if I were to talk to customer success, that would be running into their Salesforce group. Okay. Because I was going to ask you, what is Salesforce live agent? But that makes sense. I've never actually used that piece of it. But I mean, that's that's that's, that's what I'm getting from the descriptor. Interestingly, when I clicked on the icon to start a conversation, the whole page reloads and nothing happens. Yeah, mine came right up. But are, let me guess, you're in Chrome? I am. I can see something else, though. Some of their URLs are leaking. They're using Demandware. Um, we can see Demandware is one of the really big... Um, it's kind of who Shopify wants to be when they when they grow up. Like true, true enterprise size, like so shopping cart providers. Oh, it's just in the back end, like enterprise mm. level, big, like... In support of Patagonia, exactly type companies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But when you see, like Shopify recently made announcements that they are pushing on their enterprise program, and like they've been using Shopify Plus for a long time, they're kind of pushing merchants like they're they're mid market. You're like five to fifty million dollar businesses um, to Shopify Plus. I think they're trying to create a layer on top of that, like Shopify Enterprise or Shopify Plus Plus, right? <laughs> and um, I, I think that's because they want to go head to head on on against folks like Demandware. Because like we built our business, everybody was using Shopify. It was the strangest thing. In 2007, when we were starting Whiplash, we used Shopify because it seemed like nice and modern. And we're like, all right, this seems like the best e-commerce platform out there. And it was like long before they had, you know, IPO'd and Toby seemed like a smart person. It seemed like a well-designed API. And so we were building on it. And then that turned out to be like a crazy competitive advantage. Like as people were coming to us, bringing us their fulfillment challenges, they were like, the first question is like, well, do you support Shopify? And because we said, yes, we're official app in the app store. We've had it for years. There's tons of, of traffic that runs through it. We just were, we were like compete, like beating these like big established warehouses who didn't, couldn't say yes. It, it was such a strange time to just have done something not that difficult and get all this credit for it. Mm-hmm. And that and then was it, back in 2007. Yeah, that was like 2007 to 13, like those those years. And now it's just everybody has it and it's expected. I think it's, we talked about how it's like that the pop-up it's like everybody, it's like working for somebody. So everybody does it. And like the pack kind of moves towards it. It feels right. like that we were, we got lucky and we're like ahead of that curve for a little while. Yeah. When the pandemic started, um, one of my friends who owns a retail store did not have an online presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, had a website, but not an online shopping mm-hmm. presence mm-hmm. because the mission of their store it's a shoe store and the mission of the store is you have to be properly fitted for your shoes right. therefore we're not going to offer right so online. we are specifically not online pandemic happens they have a very specific problem <laughs> yes so i was like i'll help you figure it out so i dug in and i like i got i was proud of myself i dug into their shopify and mm-hmm. like figured out like way deep inside mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Shopify system, like not only how to do something, but I don't know if I should say this or not, but I figured out little ways to game the system so Mm -hmm. that she wouldn't have to necessarily download a bunch of 
yeah. extra apps. All the extra apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As much as much support as they provide, they provide you like a place to do work, right? But they don't, it doesn't do the work for you. They're like, great, you can create products. Now it's your problem to like create all these products and configure the variants and um, Oh my God. And if you think about shoes. Oh man! All the, the different sizes and colors. Shoes have a well. I think of it as the uh, complexity coefficient, right? Which is the number of unique, like size, color, item combinations against the number of orders. And so, like one product with one hundred orders is a very easy to to fulfill. And everything about your business is going to be easier, right? Like ordering inventory, shipping orders, doing your accounting, measuring your gross margin, all of that's going to be like dead simple. And or on the other side where it's like a hundred orders and a hundred different custom products, it'd be like a nightmare of complexity to to manage all those things. Everything you do from updating the website to doing your bookkeeping is going to be harder. Shoes are way up there. Shoes way up have a, there. a terrible complexity coefficient. Way up there. I mean when I you know we before I owned a retail store, but then we we talked a lot during those years. And I remember there was a woman who founded a shoe company and I carried some of her shoes. It was insane. Yeah. It was I'm, insane. I'm in awe of anyone. To me, that's like, I think about the number of hard things that you can do at any one time. And you're like, we're going to be mission driven. You're like, okay, that's one hard thing. You're like, we're going to be <laughs> a shoe company. I'm like, okay, that's one hard thing. We're going to do, you know, Retail only. Okay, that's another hard thing to do. Like, we're a mission-driven shoe company, retail only. You're like, that's a lot of hard things. And like, personally, I'm like, I look at that and I'm like, oh, I will fail if I, that's like too many hard things. I personally can't take on that many hard things. Maybe somebody else can. Um, I can do like maybe two, preferably one. Yeah, I'm learning. I learned, <laughs> I learned from that experience. <laughs> Keep it as simple as possible. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. The, I don't know if you remember Woot. I think it was Woot was the site. It was like a daily deals site before they really had daily deals. But because they had they had like the best complexity coefficient you can imagine, right? Where it's like all those one uh, one unit orders for the same product. You don't even like have a you don't have a picking thing. You just have like a palette and like order labels. Just like slap labels on. You can't really screw it up. It's it's easy to get right. Um, and then what happened was they when they sold it to Amazon, Amazon brought it into their normal like fulfillment operations, which is like the highest complexity coefficient you can imagine, right? Every brand under the sun, all these different SKUs. And the business no longer made money. Mm. It couldn't ship profitably on the margins that they had been used to because if you fulfilled it like a normal brand and like handling all that complexity and all those rules and systems to, to handle the complexity of Amazon, you just what you lost was all of that quickness of just like grab a unit off the pallet and slap a label on it. Um, massively more expensive to do it like the Amazon way versus the scrappy dedicated business way. I don't a know. lesson is in there. There's a lesson. It's something There's about- There's a lesson it, in we're, there. We're kind of riffing on the complexity coefficient. And I think that was yeah one that's always stayed with me. Yeah. I But I still think that there's a bigger lesson in there. We- oh. <laughs> haven't ordered anything. <laughs> we haven't ordered. I have my little yellow shirt is You've still You got your yellow there. shirt. I'm going to order the same shirt. Uh, you are? Be- I'm going to order the same shirt. I'm going to return mine. Nothing Okay, personal. I'm keeping mine. You can keep yours. I, I'll, okay. I'll do the return process. So with our last little bit of, of recording runway here, I'm going to do the quick ad. Oh, they're all, all the sizes are gone. That's why it's on sale. They don't have a full yeah. size, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't because you're going to return, I'm gonna return it. it anyway. Or Ruth can have, and I'm like your daughter. You oh, know? my daughter. Now, do you check out checkout or do you check out PayPal checkout? Mm, I was kind of looking at that Apple Pay checkout. Oh, Apple. Wait, I don't have an Apple Pay checkout. Really? I have a red, big red button that says checkout. And then below that, I have pay with PayPal. And below that, I've got the Apple logo and it says word pay. I do not have that. I have the big red checkout button, mm-hmm. the pay with PayPal, and then mm-hmm. right underneath that, it's just a lock and it says secure. Yeah. So I've been opted into a location and an Apple Pay because we're getting configured experiences. And you're on Safari. I think this is a really good- Oh, I'm on Safari. It could be more, a deeper native why. integration. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now I have to go to Chrome- and see if I can reproduce it. I am going to check out with PayPal for today because it's faster unless you from like 
a supply chain expert tell me why I shouldn't? No reason. I okay. mean, you're, make, you're making somebody's life a little bit more complicated, but that's they've already got systems set up for it. Okay, um, that's one of the okay. things that we see when we're like bringing the accounting in for a business, and you're like, we made you know ten dollars in sales, and we only got half of it, and you're like, oh, that's because the other half goes to a PayPal account that needs to be synced, and we need systems to like track like these real time balances, and it's not quite a bank, but it acts like a bank. You're making by its existence, you're making somebody's life hard, but not that hard. And they should be ready. I am on my PayPal screen and now I'm presented with my shipping options. Okay. What do you, what do you got? I've got standard shipping is $8.50. Standard. Okay. Two day is $23.50 and next day is $28.50. Ooh, Not much of a jump to get the, the two day to next day. Yeah. And a, and I don't know what standard is to them, like whether it's just you'll yeah. get it when you get it. Yeah. But I didn't qualify for free shipping, which I did see on the site. I think you have to place an order for $99 mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. least to get mm-hmm. the free shipping. So I'm going to I'm just going to go with the standard. I'll do the standard, too, because I want to see how they can com- how they compare you know, the, the equivalents. Also, I, I, that seems like very expensive. But then I start to wonder, like when you think about the CO2 implications of next day versus standard, like there's a, a much larger CO2 impact because you're taking everything, um, you know, air versus, versus ground. And so I almost, right. because it's Patagonia, I'm wondering, do they artificially inflate to de-incentivize, right? Like Amazon Prime is saying, no, 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 ship everything air and they're subsidizing that cost. Whereas that actually is counter- to Patagonia's mission. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll do it, but you really got to want it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's going to, there's your carbon credits right there in, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. the price. In Chrome, I do not get the Apple Pay option. Oh, intro- what about the location? Yeah, I still got the location, San Francisco. Okay. So I don't know what's going on there. But uh, Interesting. It, is, it, is, it is Apple Pay native. I'm doing the standard. It has two to eight business days. This is actually feeding into the Apple Pay. Shipping address looks correct. I've got everything, my shipping, my billing address, everything is correct. And I'm about to hit the big red button called place that says place order. But here's what I'm looking for to see at the bottom here. There's a couple of badges, mm-hmm. 1% for the planet, mm-hmm. ironclad guarantee with a little info button that you can click. We mm-hmm. guarantee everything we make mm-hmm. um, because they prioritize uh, durability mm-hmm. in consuming less energy, wasting less water and creating less trash. Mm-hmm. Nice. Free shipping on orders over $99, but it's no rush shipping. And then easy returns, which mm-hmm. we'll be the judge of that. We'll be the judge of that. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't tell me it's easy returns. I'll tell you it's easy returns. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I'm going to click my button. Okay. Do it. I think it's interesting that it's like a giant red button. I feel like you're not supposed to hit the red button. It's like... You're right. It's, not, it's a little bit of a disincentive there. I would I would make that button green. If, like, green. Like, oh, That's yeah, right. Yeah. Press the button. I'm on the purchase. Thank you for your purchase page. Okay. I have my order number. I can elect with a black button to get text updates about my delivery. Mm. I can, can print see, my ring. Uh, who's supporting that? That's definitely a service they're using. Oh, Narvar. Nice. So Narvar is a uh, it's a returns processing platform that looks like they're taking over sort of tracking notifications coming upstream a little bit from where I think of them. Mm. Okay, I might try to learn more between now and the next when we get the box. Yeah. So big question: When is this stuff going to arrive? And so we've got one going to Michigan, one going to California. When are they going to show up? What's the time difference? What shipping methods did they actually use? What did, what does standard shipping translate into? I'm excited to to find out. Our listeners Me too. only have to wait moments. We have to wait in real time. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll talk so, to you. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Okay. I look forward to getting into that box. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we're going to get into the box. Now we're going to get into the box. We're going to get right to it. 
Okay, we're back. Um, not that we left, but <laughs> time <laughs> we're in the matrix. Time elapsed, and you know, several days have passed since we placed our order. Uh, a full week, I think. I have a burning question. Though. All right. Did you consult with Ruth on the Uber Eats mystery? I did. There's no update available. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, so we placed our orders. What day of the week was that? Was that a Tuesday? That was a Tuesday. I caught my package yesterday, which is Monday. Okay. So it took a full week. So pretty much a full week, right? Um, Pretty much. I got mine. Let's see. So yours was to Michigan. That was Tuesday to the following Monday. Um, Mine shipped on the 29th. I got it on the 31st. So just two business days. I've had mine since since Thursday. And you haven't opened it yet. I haven't opened it yet. Um, Oh, so you exercise delay of gratification. Well, I knew we were going to record. It seemed, I I don't know why I'm trying to dodge. Yes, I exercise delayed gratification. James, you're the expert in this in this field, if I show you my label, yeah. is there anything on that that you can like di- decipher and dissect? Well, so the first things that I like to look at is, you know, where did yours ship from? So if you look in the top left, I'm showing mine came from the Patagonia Service Center on White Fur Street. Is that yours is the same? Mm-hmm. And then if we look, there's a there's space and it says Reno, Nevada, um, you know, 89523. Which yes, so that that explains why mine came so much faster. Um, so I'm in Reno to California. That's like a four hour drive. So in logistics, that really matters, right? Like how, like mm. how far it is in the first place. And so Reno to uh, Michigan, that's it's a lot. It's, it's a lot farther. Yeah. It's sort of magical. I still think people take so much for for granted and say, "I ordered it three days ago. Where is it?" Like, have you? Driven that personally? Do you know how far away you know Nevada is to Michigan? I actually have driven this in an eighteen wheeler. Oh, wow! Side story: I was not the driver. Okay. I think the delivery was to Sacramento, and we somehow had to go through oh, Reno. Yeah. I think yeah. that sounds. Yeah. Right on. If you do the northern route, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so I have driven that. That was several days. Yeah, and you're and it's more or less real time. And you think about you know that's like three mm-hmm. four days. You know, you know with some breaks. Um, and that's just like somebody literally drove it. Like a series of trucks drove it from <laughs> from where you were yeah. to uh, to Michigan. I'm, I've never looked at a label this closely before. <laughs> and so you said it, your ship date was the 20. Uh, mine was the 29th. I see your ship so it shipped, it shipped uh, the next business day. We ordered them on the 28th. Um, and then on the 29th, I got my ship notification at noon, uh, which was, you know, very good. I mean, and this, the one thing that's happening is this is like great time of year to order e commerce. It's like late spring mm-hmm. where the warehouse is just like, has capacity and generally things are probably running very well. Obviously, if we ordered this on Black Friday, we wouldn't expect to get a tracking number, you know, 12 hours later. Right. So in the upper right corner of my label, my ship date is actually listed as March 28th. Yeah, so is mine. So that is interesting. That is, I don't think that's, so one of two things is happening. One is they pre-bought the labels when the order came in and Mm -hmm. actually printed it like the next day, or they may have printed the label on the 28th and then like kind of given it as a batch down to the warehouse. And so it didn't actually get its first tracking event until the 29th. Um, hard to say, hard to say which that was. How much did your uh, package weigh? Mine says actual weight, 0.8 pounds. How about yours? Same. Yeah, I think Same. I think that's a calculated weight and I think it's wrong. This does not feel like oh. a 0.8 pound package. Feels like uh, half of that. Yeah. Note to self, future episodes, we should get a scale. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so excited. Actually, I have a digital scale in my kitchen. So in my former role with a with a certain company, mm-hmm. I had to weigh packaged food items mm-hmm. as we they were running te- production tests yeah. and then shipping out those tests to us to Got you, uh, you know, how did it? Yeah, yeah. kind of this thing. Like, how was it packaged? You know, yeah. how much does it weigh? What is, you know, what does it taste like? And so, I have a digital scale for that. Yeah. I should have grabbed yeah. it. So we'll we'll have to we'll have to weigh those. This that feels wrong. Which is, you know, there's 
I know when, when we did this type of work, we were always buying the labels off of the product weight and doing like, well, we know the products weigh this much. We know the packaging weighs this much. We're going to calculate a weight and that's what's going to go into the system. And then we're, we're not going to do mm-hmm. a physical reweighing. Um, that works really well for direct to consumer things, especially um, a lot of these, these volume programs, the weight is not necessarily so it could be there's the dimensional weight actually factors very very high which is you know the the um, volume plus the dimensions and the the weight all goes into the the billing yeah yeah and then uh, and like a lot of these like fedex home delivery my guess is that the contract pricing it might be something like under a pound or under 18 ounces is is all one rate when i think about like we were talking about the shipping time and how long that takes so basically this inventory is sitting in a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it didn't. It was manufactured elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, like, because you know, my background is in location mm-hmm. analytics, mm-hmm. like site selection. So I'm wondering if we know how many, like, how many warehouses yeah. does Patagonia have across the yeah. U.S. I, I think so. This is this is where. It gets it gets complicated. I think I, I, my guess is actually that Patagonia has a single facility, and the, the fact that we ordered from very different locations and got the same location they, it doesn't mean it's it's the same. Because the other thing, the, they have a large number of SKUs, and so if they had a very few number of SKUs, then you can spin up multiple warehouses really effectively. But the more products you have, there's like an exponential. Um, as you do those splits, it's more inventory you have to have. So it becomes very expensive. It causes you to be out of stock and starting to split. Like I've, to make this order whole, I've got to ship it from three different warehouses. I received- an, Oh, that makes and so Amazon, a lot of Amazon sense. does that quite a bit, right? Where they just have the capital and they just spray inventory across the country. And it's how they, how they do things like you know, shipping next day or two days because they've brought up inventory levels everywhere ahead of time. So that final mile is is relatively close. But then, I mean, on the flip side of that, I ordered uh, uh, 18 copies of a book for like a corporate event and they came like one at a time from like 18 different warehouses with these <laughs> books, just like you're like under assault um, from these like one book at a time instead of like any human would do it. Just like, oh yeah, here's a box of books. I don't know if I have any other questions about this label, but yeah. those are the ones that were like rolling yeah. around inside my brain. I had really hoped we were going to get regionally optimized shipping methods. Yeah. But um, one one other I'm, comment, I, I the whole package is unmarked and unbranded. It says Patagonia in really small letters. Nowhere else does it do that. And I think that's probably intentional, even though it's a huge missed opportunity from like brand aware ha- awareness. It keeps them from getting stolen off porches. It does. And I'll, I'll talk about the outside of this package a little bit because it's something I wanted to bring up. Perhaps once I see the inside of the package, I, so this is, you can hear it maybe crinkling. It's paper, like gross, almost like really thick grocery bag style mailer. It's like a heavy craft. You know, brown. And at the bottom, it is an eco-natural bag. It's recyclable and it's uh, manufactured from recycled recycled paper. 90% post-consumer, which is actually very high. A lot of things say they're recycled and it's, you know, 50% recycled but that just means at the mill they took their cuttings and put it back into the hopper which of course they were gonna, there was never a scenario where people weren't doing that and they oh it's recycled and you're like well before we get on to the inside because i'm into mysteries and investigations my package arrived yesterday it was pouring down rain here mm. and it was left just outside on the front porch with you know no shelter mm-hmm. like very little, mm-hmm. little shelter. So it was just sitting in the rain on the steps and I was away from home. <laughs> so even though I received the notice that my package was delivered, I didn't get the package until it had been rained on a lot. Yeah, great. I love that for a test. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's see what it looks yeah. like on the inside. Yeah, shall we open these things? Yeah, let's do it. Did you get the same thing that I got? I did. I think you did. I, did. I got the women's uh, cap cool daily hoodie. <laughs> For the rain piece of this, it is wrapped in plastic mm-hmm. and well sealed. So my garment is not wet at all. Mm-hmm. Not even the label sticker on the, you know, on the plastic. That's not even yeah. 
I think the ruined or I wet. Think the craft must have absorbed some of that water pretty well and done. I mean, the, the plastic it's, inside is obviously doing some some heavy lifting, but I'm impressed. So it's a very simple package on the inside. It's literally the single garment we I ordered. Yeah. You too. I can see yours on screen. It's a very simple garment. It is wrapped in plastic. It is labeled, and that's it. There's a packing slip. The the fact that, that this is plastic must kill the Patagonia folks. I know. And like they're I using know. a they're using a 100 recycled content plastic, which is you know obviously they they're trying, but unfortunately that is pretty much into the landfill from here, um, which is an opportunity area uh, for all of us. So I'm looking at so, this um, packing slip. There's a couple of the big piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice it's a nice design. I think most people probably just throw these away immediately. I, I used to have a collection where I'd like take every packing slip and put it into my collection. I, I don't <laughs> I, I stopped doing that at some point along the way, but I was up to, you know, sixty or seventy of them. Um, oh, just because they reveal yeah. information, you know, like on the bottom left here, all the way down in the corner, you've got wave um, you know, three oh three, two eight zero two four. And that is not the barcode. We've got a different number encoded into the barcode. And it's also not the shoot number. So when I see things like wave, like the wave is most likely, um, that's like a cohort of orders that are, that are going to get picked and shipped at once. That's called a wave. Mm-hmm. And so they'll have something in common usually. It's like, okay, these are all of the, like the women's, let's say. We might put women's in one section of the warehouse and men's in another section simply because there's a higher probability that if you're ordering one women's things, you're going to have like a bunch of women's things, right? And so you want to go by warehouse location. And so the wave probably is something to do. I bet you we have different wave numbers, even though we order at the same I, time. No, you read yours and mine is exactly the oh, same. Oh, no, same wave because we ordered the same item. Yeah. Because, yeah. Same item, same So time. next time we should order something different. Yeah, we'll have to do that. We'll have to do that. Yeah. Because, right, we would have been in the same wave. It would be really fun if we ordered at the exact same moment, but different products and gotten different waves. And so you could see a little, you could see a hint of that um, sort of warehouse organization coming in. I see surfing in our future Uh um, to catch a different wave. Catch a different wave. That's right. (laughs) What is a shoot number? Shoot number, I'm guessing it was like a, my shoot number is 2041. What's yours? Same, Same 2041. Yeah. So it's two different orders. So I'm, I'm guessing it's where the wave, like they, the, the wave got picked and then placed somewhere to get packed. And so you might have like a, a cart of orders. Like we used to have like a, like 30 orders got picked onto a cart and now those are all on cart 2041. And then that would get handed off to the packing team. And now the packing team's going to come and work those orders. Um, so it could be like the parking spot of wave ending in 8024. So here's, here's what I'm not quite seeing though is the barcode in the bottom left which would usually be like an order id is not a number it's not the order number and it i don't see it referenced anywhere else oh wait it's on the product itself m20860 that's very interesting so they they printed a it's almost like an item id do you see on the outside of your plastic bag? Yes. It's got a barcode on yes. it. And so that's down in the single. I wonder, this is where I wish we'd order multiple items. It could be because it's a single item order. It got put into like a fast track. Oftentimes when you order a single thing, you're going to handle those orders a lot differently. And that could also be why we ended up in the same wave. Okay. Because you don't need the same level of organization for like, let's say, yeah. let's say you're, you know, you got 500 orders and then you're like, here's all the items for these 500 orders and just throw them into a giant bin. You just pick one out and scan it and print a label. And you know that that label is the right one for that order. You don't have to say, because if you have two, you have to be like, well, where's the other half of it, right? And you have to have all this organization that you can just skip if it's a single item order. I'm trying to think of this logistically. And my process mind is trying to put like a sequential order to it. So we've got inventory you know, a stack of this type of hiking hoodie, whatever we want to call mm-hmm. it. So that inventory sitting there in the warehouse, mm-hmm. but then they bring that plus some other things that may be ordered mm-hmm. together and they create a wave of these items that are not necessarily. Anyway, I'm just thinking of it's a holding tank yeah. for this collection of items. Yeah. And then the chute is probably that parking space for that wave. 
Mm-hmm. How is that more, I guess it depends on the wave, like what's inside the wave. I'm sure there's an efficiency. Well, sure. I mean, it's, formula. you got to think about how big these places are. And so you're saying, okay, we gotta, we've got this item, which is at like location XYZ in the warehouse. It might be a 10 minute walk. It might be a 20 right. minute walk. And so you really have to think of this. So if I have like a team of pickers and I'm going to send them out to the warehouse, you really want to make sure they go in, they, like how efficient their path is, is going to drastically factor if you can make any money in the shipping business at all. Funny you talk about that because I did read that book, Nomadland, mm-hmm. and it's about you know, nomadic people who live in their RVs and they pick up work wherever they can. Some are, you know, kind of moving around and working on farms. Some are actually getting jobs in large warehouses to do exactly what you're talking about. And they said that they'll walk 15 to 20 miles a day picking. Okay. And so one, that's actually one of the places that robotics have been successful is because the things that robotics are really bad at, like reaching into a bin and getting one plastic, you know, slippery plastic bag out of a box of them. Um, Those things tend to be tough for robotics, but rolling straight and following an aisle in a warehouse, they're really good at. And so, um, the programs that have been successful will send the robots out to where the inventory is, and then a human will like fill the bin and like get it off the shelf and put it in the bin and sort of stay out in the warehouse and kind of like feeding the robots. And then the robots go back and take it back to the packing team so that um, it's you don't have humans like walking those fifteen miles, you know, just going making the same trip back mm-hmm. and forth. That you got the robotics doing mm-hmm. that. That. It's fascinating. This whole world is fascinating to me. So when I look at this sticker label on the outside of our thing, I'm, you know, I see a SKU number. Mm-hmm. That's like the the product. I, here's a thing that I learned, at least in food and beverage, is that you have to have a different SKU number for a different size mm-hmm. and for a different, like, yeah. I think, level of packing could be the level of packing it could be the style size color as the the, the three that you hit all the time in clothing so for a single i used to work with a popular um yoga pant like they sort of invented a stylish dress pant yoga pant and uh there was over 250 Skews. Oh my God, we're back to the shoes. (laughs) It goes back to shoes. (laughs) It goes back to shoes. Where and so the it was kind of a nightmare. And like, let's say we had like a, like a hospital area for orders and like these orders, they couldn't be picked for whatever reason. And then you'd be like, okay, I need this exact, like I need this pant in a size long, whatever waist, whatever color variant, not the Heather gray, the Heather light gray, whatever it is. And then you'd like be going through possible locations, trying to like figure out some bug in the system. And man, when you finally found the right style, size, color, pant length, whatever, it was like a hallelujah moment. To me the whole time, I'm like, this is like the biggest waste of money in the history of like order shipping. Like we cannot do this, but you're just trying to like, there's a bug in the system somewhere. And like we to understand it, you know, you got to walk the floor and like, what the hell happened? So is there anything on this sticker? You know, we have the skew, we have the description, we have that mystery number. Like uh, if we look at like the hang tag, we can see it through the plastics. I'm not going to open my plastic, but it does have the same style number. This four, three, four, five, three, one, five, J Y I X. Yep. But then the, the UPC does, does, doesn't appear on the wear, on the packing slip at all. And we never really see that again. We only see that on um, the prepared for retail label. And so I think that's one of the things that makes things challenging is that you've got all of these references for different parts of the system. You're like, well, the warehouse knows it as this SKU, but even they assigned a different item ID for it. And uh, the retailers know it by this SKU. Um, it's all so many IDs to, to unify. That... It, that's jumping out at me too, because we have, we basically have three, actually probably four mm-hmm. different barcodes mm-hmm. here. And so as an employee, um, like somebody, those barcodes are there because there's somebody's job is to scan it, to get it from one stage to the next. And so you're like, scan mm-hmm. the barcode and you're like, well, there's which one, right? There's all these. So this is, as a new employee, you feel a little bit of uh, overwhelmed. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because there's like the really small vertical barcode or the big one or the one on the product itself. It's, um, I do notice on this large square they put on top out on the outside of the package, that main large barcode, it looks like a combination of the wave number and the shoot number. So if you go, uh, it starts with 303 and then after about 10 digits, you can see the last four digits are 2041, which is that shoot number. Uh, so yeah. that's interesting. That is interesting. So the barcode on the inside of the package on the tag is probably like you said for retail. Mm -hmm. But then they package this up, put a sticker on it yeah. that matches the wave in the shoot. So here's and then yeah. yeah. So here's something else. Like in the in big letters at the top of the square sticker is L fourteen O two forty six. Oh different. It, really? What's yours? Yeah. L one three O four four four. Okay. So that's interesting. So they are definitely of a system, but they are a little bit different. I, well, cause this kind of blows my theory a little bit. That to me, looks like a warehouse location that looks like aisle 14, road two, bin 46, or, you know, I probably 46 would be a very high shelf. So probably, so their sequence is different than what I'm used to, but yours is in a different location, but I can actually explain that too. Cause if you were Size? Well, it could be size, but I think we, I got a small. I got an extra small. Okay. So that could, that could be it, that they're near each other, but in slightly different bins. They also, if you were processing the returns, like if it was a re an item that like already bounced back once, um, mm. it might end up in a different bin nearby or somewhere else different altogether. If Yeah. Because when I saw L, yeah. my, f my first thought was, oh, that's a lot number. Yeah. <laughs> Not even knowing what a lot number really is. Um, we could talk about, but lots. anyway, I don't know if we have time to do it, but we can talk about lots. <laughs> okay, we could talk about lots. And then here's another little tidbit. So when I flip my late that sticker label perpendicularly, mm -hmm. I see the shoot or the, the wave and shoot number, mm -hmm. and then in small letters to the side or small numbers, mm -hmm. I can't speak today. It says 0971. I don't know what that is, but that's yet another mm -hmm. ID. My prediction is that very few people who work at Patagonia know all of these IDs, but somebody does. And when and they are there to solve some specific problem that is like when this happens we need to know this you know, for like traceability. Interesting. So you you're I'm going backwards as I and want to do. So your theory about these big numbers, it's the location on the shelf. Yeah, that's the location on the shelf. And so the first thing you do when you train your picking team is give them a map of the warehouse and tell them how to determine where to go for a code like that. So is there always a pick team and a pack team? Uh, in, in, in my experience, yes. Because I think the the reason for that is the the pack team has hardware and stations where you've got a label printer and a box of, you know, the shipping materials and all this kind of physical assets. And so if you think about that as an asset, the company has, has, that's like a big capacity constraint. And so you want to keep that staff the entire time, you know, as, as much as you can, because that's really your bottleneck. And so with that as firmly established as your one bottleneck, then the picking team is all downstream and making sure that they, you never run out of orders to flow through those pack stations. E-commerce is hard. There's a lot of little bits it, to keep track of. It's not only difficult because there are so many bits, but there are different, different departments involved in each of the bits and then bringing them all together yeah. and having them row in the same direction yeah. like, is its own challenge. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, whose job is that form? And like, that's a job in itself is finding out who controls that piece of the puzzle and um, you should even talk to to get the change made. And the, that's like that's the crazy thing. As companies get big, it's like the amount of work that something is compared to the amount of work it is to talk to the right person, it just like gets way out of like, oh yeah, that's a five minutes of work, but it's actually eight hours because like it's complicated. <laughs> Tracking yeah, it down. Yeah. 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 So you can see why some people, you know, are just like, Ugh. and you're like, right. if anybody really going to yell at me that that's happening and you're like, not if that there's an 800 weight. Yeah, fall. exactly. And you're <laughs> like, well, they're really going to yell at me if the order doesn't show up at all. So let me work on this other thing. Well, speaking of that, spending the right amount of time and <laughs> on the right problem yeah. is <laughs> probably our cue to say, okay, yeah. we have unboxed. We did it. We unboxed e-commerce.
<laughs> we sure did. We unboxed e-commerce. Thanks for listening. James's latest company is called Trivial. They are building a data platform for online businesses to quickly see the metrics that make a difference. And Jennifer's business, Roo, that's R-O-U-X, provides the operating structure for growing businesses so they can move from fires to flow. If you have an unboxing experience you'd like us to evaluate, you can find us on LinkedIn. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Unboxing E-Commerce wherever you get your podcasts. Bye-bye.